um, can you just give us a, basically a five minutes breakdown of the development of Kenya's education system? Good evening and welcome to this latest edition of the Elephant uh, Conversations. And today uh, it's really my singular honor and pleasure to, to, to be joined by Dr. Wandi Joya, who's uh, probably Kenya's most prominent public intellectual in the area of education. Karibu Wandia. Asante sana, John. Thank you. Great. Um, Wandia, you're known in the public space for having very clear and strong ideas about Kenya's education system. Um, can you just give us a, basically a five minutes breakdown of, of the development of Kenya's education system? So, um, you know, we could of course start with the, the pre-colonial era where Africans were carrying out their education uh, differently. We didn't have, uh, you know, the school system for kids to start from four or six uh, all the way. But there were different ways uh, we were educating. Uh, there was culture at initiation. A lot of societies uh, put a lot of effort into educating the adults. Uh, I mean, people transitioning into adulthood. Then there was um, apprenticeship for skills. And usually apprenticeship was almost like a lifelong thing. So once you apprentice with with a, a professional like a healer or a prophet, you know it would go on for most of your life, and then you just take over when when your mentor uh, joins the ancestors. Mm. Um, then of there were rituals. There are many things, but also there was uh, one misconception is that we didn't have libraries and writing. Those were there. Um, some of the earliest written texts in Kenya were in, at the East African coasts as early as the 14th, 15th century. So there was uh, interaction with the outside world beyond Kenya, people traveling either to Asia or across Africa and, and sharing knowledges. So that was the uh, pre-colonial uh, system. Um, then when, when Kenya became uh, a business uh, entity for the British East Africa Company, there was no interest in educating uh, Africans because they were just here for business. So might have, I'm not so sure, but there might have been some efforts to, to give some literacy to Africans, but there was no real intention to educate Africans because the point of the colony was to extract uh, resources. Um, so when Kenya becomes a colony and settlers start coming to Kenya, then there starts to be a discussion, should there be education for Africans? Uh, the settlers wanted education for their children, of course, um, and they had wanted their children to be employed by the colonial government, um, especially the ones who were born here. So there was a tension during the colonial times about how, what kind of education should Africans get. So the, there was a tussle, the settlers didn't want any for Africans because uh, they just wanted labor for their farms. 
um, the missionaries wanted Africans to learn to read and write, of course, because uh, they wanted Africans to read the Bible and evangelize. And then after a while, even the colonial government wanted a few Africans educated so that those could be the clerks serving in the colonial government. Um, but there were also Asians who were here who had also started saying we need education for our children. And then, of course, the Africans also wanted to gain some knowledge. So between for, for throughout the colonial period, there was a tussle about what kind of education should Africans get. And the settlers were of the view that education should only be for training laborers and should not have any literacy or humanities and should not go beyond uh, what we know now as Tibet. Mm. Um, then come uh, independence. Of course, now people want, Africans want education and they expect the government to provide education, but there were not enough resources for mm. the schools. Um, but the government came up with some ways of, of providing education to more people, but there was no a parallel plan to expand the economy. So for the early years of independence, education was still about providing a number of civil servants to take over from the colonial government and also a few other Africans to start working for foreign companies who are here. And that system was now the 763 system, which was the A-level system. It was a highly unequal system um, uh, for example, there were a number of high schools, and that's the system I went through. There were a number of high schools that would reach form four and had no A level. Mm -hmm. So basically, when you reach form four, that's the end. You can't go further. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And then you'd compete to join A level in another school, and then if you don't pass that again, that's two years wasted. You go back home. And then, of course, a few went to the university. Um, I think the Kenyatta government was content with that kind of inequality, which basically favored the areas that had already gotten schools, which are the, the areas along the railway. So communities further from the railway did not have access to as much uh, to as many schools as the, the communities on the railway, especially in central and Nyanza. So uh, when Moi became president, um, of course he sought to, that was one of his major commitments to rectify that inequality. So he immediately started uh, two universities, Moi and Ijaton, but he also got the 844 system put. And this was already actually, and this is what uh, my friend Bonda Kithinji says, that it was already proposed in the Gashadi report that the A-level was a waste of time and uh, it should be removed because it was wasting two years of people's lives. And if they didn't go to university, they, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was just, what was the point? So they removed those, the A-level and then that's what we had, the 844 system. And the advantage of the 844 was that now all those schools, especially uh, farther from the railway that didn't go up to form six could now send children to university because they didn't have to go through the A-level system. So Moi's main concern 
was equity. equity. Um, and he was very deliberate about that. So um, now in the 2002 NAC government, of course now uh, we got free primary education. So that opened the doors for more children. And then, uh, of course, there were problems with corruption, loss of funds, and also there were other things happening internationally. So there was pressure uh, on the government, uh, both from politicians within and without, to restrict the amount of education people are getting. There was a feeling that why should so many people go to university, mm -hmm. uh, let them stay at TVET or whatever. And we can talk about those myths about uh, technical education and, and, and stuff. But anyway, uh, so in uh, 2017, we got the competency-based curriculum. In my view, uh, it's, a, it's a throwback to the A-level that Moi was doing away with. Uh, it's adding more years to high school. It's adding more layers of of um of of well, sort of you know loopholes to uh, not loopholes what are those things called you you, you now have more layers to to go through okay. to reach university and now uh what cbc is also saying is that they are going to introduce what they call pathways which was what we had in a level uh, saying some people will go to sciences some will go to arts and some will go to technical subjects and the government is proposing that they'll do this by quarters so it's not even just choice they're going to say they're going to put a cap on who can go where so that you know will be discriminating against children because they really don't have a choice it will be about the quotas so we are basically going back to the limited education the the education which is trying to limit how people progress in the system so we can talk about all those other issues that people are talking about, but that's the general gist of, of CBC. Thanks, yeah. thanks, yeah. Um, for, for, for that comprehensive overview. You know, one day you, you approach the, the issue of education in Kenya and in Africa very holistically. So let me ask you sort of also a slightly existential question, philosophical question. What kind of, you know, you mentioned very much that, you know, the, the, the pre-colonial system uh, the colonial system, so sorry, the colonial system was designed to, you know, to, to give basic literacy for people to provide services to the extraction machine that was the colonial state. It was very specific in terms of what it was delivering. Um, what kind of human beings were created out of uh, the, the A-level system that we went through? the 844 system that, that followed that. I went like you through the A-level system. And one of the things that I, I found striking, and I, this is purely from application letters that you receive, especially for jobs, is that that's a simple thing like just writing uh, comprehension. This is writing, diction, uh, et cetera, had changed and uh, had deteriorated. Uh, and uh, so that became very clear. But if I was to ask you just the question, what, what, what kind of human beings and how did they think were being produced by our post-independence education systems? And what kind of um, 
human being is going to be produced by CBC, uh, you know, from your experience and uh, all the study and thinking you've put into this subject? Okay, so I'll just say what I think. Uh, maybe others will will have a different opinion. I think um, the system, the A level system we went through was very elitist. Um, we it was training people to take over from the British um, in the government. So we tended to have the same kind of snobbery and and uh, what do you call. Um, attention to detail and to protocol and you know that kind of that this is the way things are done so maybe because of that we got the impression that the system was more thorough but i think it was just that uh, because we were fewer and more resources were going to a few people then uh, the system could afford to train quote unquote uh, people better um so we, it was an elitist system and it made people expect uh, the best. And so even like with those of us who went to the public universities, you know, we didn't pay a thing. We got boom, we got fairly good food. We used to eat chapati and chicken and have ice cream for dessert. So there was a sense of entitlement that we came out of with. Uh, we came with, out with a sense of entitlement. Um, but also, uh, uh, I, I'm sorry to say lack of imagination mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, you know, we are being trained to fit in a certain role mm -hmm. and, you know, the number of subjects you do are gradually reduced so that by the time you're leaving a level, you've done only three. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how limited mm -hmm. our worldview was. It was just, you know, you go here and you stick here. Um, with 844, um, it was broader the the students went through uh they got more subjects at the beginning they were i think doing 10 and it became too much but they were given a broader curriculum than we were they were all doing arts uh, a major thing they did was kiswahili of course so there there was a way in which they were broader but of course uh, now for for us who are older and went through the older system we felt that the 844s were not as thorough but i would say from my experience they are bolder and more creative than we are um they are more willing to open up and and look at different options and you know they have a broader sense of the world um but like i said the major thing was uh, equity and more inclusion inclusion of more people and i think we we got fairly a uh, a uh, uh, a group that has a larger national conscience than consciousness than we did. We have a greater class consciousness than a national one. Um, and then of course, because of including more people, then you get Kenyans who have are familiar with people from many, many, many communities. In our days, it was very rare to meet people from certain communities, especially when you went to certain schools. Um, so I think I don't I don't know whether there was really uh, an uh, you know like for us the, we the eight four four was not particularly geared towards a certain institution, mm -hmm. but of course also the hope was that uh, even if you don't go to university when you finish form four you'll be able to do something creative with your life. 
With CBC, it is different. Now CBC is the inverse of the eight of the seven six three. Instead of creating elites, you're creating workers. You want uh, people who don't think, who um, are available to to do kaziam kono. Uh, that that's and that's why they're insisting that uh, they must that that the government will limit uh, the number of people who can go to university or who can do the arts or the sciences. They want a sixty or so percent must do Tibet. So um, maybe for for those who don't know, you can just yeah. tell us what Tibet is. Oh, Tibet is the technical and vocational training. I don't know what the all the letters stand for but uh, this this idea is not different from the colonial idea because even the colonialists that's what they wanted they wanted as few africans to go beyond technical training and to just become the 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 handymen or handy women for for the for the people who got the better education who are the europeans and the asians mm. so now because the first few years of edu education under independence were for training the people who took over from europeans now we've started asking for a training of other, other fellow africans mm. so that they don't reach where uh, those who went through the first few years of education have reached. So it's a throwback to the colonial era. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's quite disturbing. Um, and I, 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 I wanted to ask uh, a question. I mean, you are very prominent on social media. Um, mm. You know, you use it very creatively uh, to teach and to mentor um, youth. Um, and I wanted to ask the question, given that the CBC, as you argue, is taking us back to uh, the colonial uh, system that was designed uh, to create workers, how has this, how does this play out in this 21st century, where we have social media, where this young, this generation that is being pushed through this you know, competency-based uh, curriculum, also have their mobile phones and uh, other gadgets and have access to information in ways that we could not imagine when we were in school. Um, how, how does that work out? What, you know, what kind of, you know, how, how does that play out? Uh, you know, you're, you're a lecturer as well. Um, and you, you, you receive these uh, students uh, into your lecture lecture rooms. What kind of Kenyans are these? Um, I think there's a contradiction. Uh, yes, you know, especially the eight for four generation is able to process the information that they are getting from the internet because they have been exposed to a wide range of of subjects. So. Uh, there are some who just passively sit on the internet, do the do the what do you call it, the Instagram and TikTok, and you know they, they don't really care beyond the the immediate and the fun. But there there is also another group that really cares and that is doing their research on history and coming up with really interesting ideas. They are also connecting 
to people around the world and starting to mobilize on different issues. So there's a mix of those. There are those who are using social media for solidarity and education, but there are also those who are just content to do with the, to, to have entertainment and self-promotion as we know. Um, but with CBC, I'm not sure how it is going to go because we are CBC is going against the grain, really. It's it's trying to swim upstream. The the I mean the knowledge has been opened up. So I don't know why they are trying to to restrict the amount of knowledge that people will get. It it's it's actually doesn't serve any purpose because the more they they remove from the education system, the more young people will go to. Uh, social media to find out information. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's futile uh, to try and limit people's thinking skills. But on the other hand, it will uh, prove a little bit violent because what will happen is that when somebody comes off the the education system that is so limited, and then they come and find this place of information, they will make a lot of mistakes. They will get into the wrong groups. Mm. Uh, you don't know what will will happen before uh, they realize. Oh, you know, I'm 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 in the wrong group, and for some people, it might not happen again. So, we, what we are preparing for is a very volatile uh, generation if we don't reverse this idea of competency-based curriculum. We should be widening the curriculum, not narrowing it to jobs. We should be widening it and giving people the skills to deal with the amount of information that is going to be available to them on the internet. Uh, because if we don't, we are making them vulnerable to being misused. Mm. Because uh, if you have not given them the thinking skills within the school system, when they come out onto the internet, they will be vulnerable to being misused by people with, with dubious intentions. So um, social media could have been a blessing if we had managed the curriculum properly, if we had opened up other spaces for people to learn like culture, the arts, but you know, when we are constricting the space within the education system, when we are banning the arts, when we are censoring the media, that is going to produce a very volatile public because the public will not will not have access to the same knowledge. Everybody will be in silos and, and you don't know who knows what. So it's very dangerous and very reckless. Uh, thanks. Uh, you know, you know, it's, as I always say, time flies when, especially when we are discussing a subject as critical as this. There's there's one thing that Kenyans are known for, and I think Africans everywhere, everywhere around around the world. Parents invest in the education of their children, uh, and they're willing to go to great lengths to do that. Uh, given what you've said about the competency-based curriculum that is now, you know, being implemented, uh, you know, what would you change right now if 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 you are in a position of authority in terms of rolling out an education system that prepares? young Kenyans to be able to be, you know, good global citizens, good nationals, you know, good Africans, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, for them to be able to participate in economic, political, and social life to the fullness of their capacities. 
what would you change right now? Because we are at we are at a tipping point where this this new system is just starting. Um, yet you've you've pointed out very glaring risks that um, it presents. Um, what what should we do? I know it's, it's, time is, it has flown, and I'm asking a big question at the end. I think we should remove the employment idea. I mean, kids are going to be finishing high school at 16. It's ridiculous to expect them to get employed at that time. Mm. So remove the imperative of, of, uh, of getting employment, then increase the amount of humanities. Of course, I'm biased. Increase the amount of humanities so that, especially history and language, uh, so that you are exposing uh, children to the ability to think, to communicate, and to create. Mm. And then now, whatever uh, technical skills you want people to get, you do it at the post-secondary school level. I think it's a mistake to start trying to limit uh, children's uh, imagination because you want them to be employed. And then after that, uh, after opening, uh, removing the competency part and putting it in tertiary level, then you need to open up the other spaces for creative engagement. You, you know, we must improve culture, we must improve arts, we must uh, improve science and innovation, um, you know, improve on, on apprenticeships and all that so that uh, when people are in school, they, they are not feeling desperate to get a certificate that will take them to university. They can learn in a relaxed way, in a creative way, knowing that once they finish high school, there will be opportunities for them, even if they decide not to go on with school. I think that's where the problem is. And that's when I tell Kenyans that they find that too big a problem. But when you think of it, mm -hmm. it's not big a big problem because how many artists do we have? They can run with it. They can improve the space, run with it. Juakali artisans can, can expand the space and welcome others. They're, these spaces are already there. It's just that they are not receiving encouragement and, and uh, support. So the space is so constricted that Kenyans are, are so desperate, they feel that they must get a school certificate to survive in the workplace. That's where the problem is. Great. Um, thank you, uh, Wandia. I get the sense that we haven't finished this conversation. Um, in fact, we've just started. So let's call this part one. Um, and as, as our time has uh, come to an end, because I'd like to explore a lot uh, further with you of all right um we've said these this is the education system that we are implementing now we're about to you've uh, articulated very clearly the problems that it has and how those can be uh, mitigated but i would like to have a conversation with you of uh, what should parents do in a very practical way right now i mean um, their parents with their kids who are in this system, um, you know, uh, are they totally hostage to it? And, you know, how can you, you know, mitigate, especially for the poor, you know, how, how can they really help build the capacities of their children to, as a, to participate as um, national and global citizens uh, much more effectively? So, but I think we, let's, we save that for our next conversation. 
yeah. and, and I say Asante Sana uh, for, for, for joining the elephant this evening. All right, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you.